there is an oversaturation in the market right now. We are seeing a lot more doodles coming from rescues. Puppy mills weren't able to sell them and just offloaded them to rescues. There are a lot more rehomes than there used to be. They used to be much less common than they were. So now they're showing up in rescues. So if you are, you know, adopt, not shop, don't assume that every doodle came from a breeder. Second, don't assume that every doodle came from an unethical or backyard breeder. Hey there, I'm Janie Budnick, the pet sitter guru and founder of Pet Biz Hive and Pet Biz MBA. The Pet Biz Hive podcast is a space for pet business owners to still get all those things done while getting some tips and business education in their ears. So pop in an earbud and get ready for the buzz. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of actually two different podcast episodes. This week I am recording for both of my podcasts, one being STL Unleashed, which is St. Louis's number one pet podcast. And I am also duly recording for the Pet Biz Hive, which is a podcast for pet business owners in the industry. I have a really cool guest today. Of course, I would have to, to be able to have it apply to both sides of what I do as a pet business owner. I have Corinne Gearhart with me today. She is, is the doodle pro. It is actually labeled. She is the doodle pro. She has claimed that space, and I am so excited to have her with me. You will understand how very soon I am able to do a double podcast. So thank you, Corinne, for joining me today. Tell everyone that is listening more about who you are. I am a professional dog trainer, and I specialize in doodles. So a lot of pet professionals, if you are a doodle parent, you might be surprised, but a lot of pet professionals kind of run the other way when it comes to doodles, and <laughs> I run towards them. Um, they have some really specific needs. I love to say doodles are different, wonderfully so. And by specializing in them, I can really dig deeper into their particular needs. And that is amazing. It's funny that you started right out the gate with that. You know, some people eye roll when they hear the word doodle, but it has really gained in popularity. Yes. Almost even more so during the pandemic, I think, unless it just became more of a conversation people were, were having at that point. Um, all of the different doodle Doodle derivatives. Wow, that, that's actually a good term. I like Doodle that. derivatives, right? <laughs> yes. Now, the, the first one I think I had heard of um, in my client list, uh, of course, was a golden doodle. Mm -hmm. And then I would start to hear about the labradoodles. And then the first one that I giggled at, which I guess that was like the tip of the iceberg, was a hoodle, which is even kind of hard to say. They hoodle. say woodle. Poodle. So yeah, you ignore the H. Woodle, poodle. I don't know. Yes. Look at it. And and for me, it's like, all right, phonetics. What do we do with this? But, right. So for everyone that does not know, that is a Wheaton Terrier poodle mix. And there's so much that goes into the conversation of your F1s mm -hmm. and your F2s. It's just a whole thing, right? Yes. 
So that is really exciting that you decided to niche down into that. So tell everyone uh, what you did. I don't know. I hate to say in your previous life, because that, of course, was, you know, who you were. But before you came, became the actual doodle pro, mm -hmm. what were you doing? I had the most recent kind of career stuff. I had the top dog walking company in a Denver, Colorado suburb. So we, it was really robust. It was dog walking and pet sitting, uh, 10 employees for those in the industry. I did employees so I could really train and have workman's comp and insurance as opposed Amen. to independent contractors. Yes. Yes. So the quality was there. Um, and at the same time, I wanted to do some more like boutique boarding in my home, but I am allergic to dogs. So as a oh. dog, <laughs> it's very silly. But... Okay, nobody can see my face right now, but uh, jaw dropped. Okay, the deer yes. pro is allergic to dogs. I am. I'm very allergic to cats, but I am also allergic to dogs. And as a dog trainer and owning a pet sitting company where I would work it myself, um, I just would need to take a lot of allergy medicine and I would change my clothes immediately when I got home. And oh, if wow. a dog, yeah. And I might have to jump right in the shower, all worth it. Yes, right? of course. Of course. Yes. I, this is my calling to be working with these animals, but in my home, I couldn't bring those allergens in. And I saw a real need for dogs that I, I had a standard poodle and my, I couldn't just drop my dog off at a kennel and know that they locked up at 7 p.m. and unlocked at 7 a.m. and cleaned up whatever mess was left. That just didn't work for me. And I couldn't find somewhere where I could bring her without her coming home covered in husky and lab hair because True. then all my allergens would be triggered. I also knew if I was going to bring any dogs in, I needed to not be bringing in all those allergens. I am not allergic, and this isn't the case for everyone, but I am not allergic to poodles and poodle mixes, aka doodles. So I only offered that to my only offered that to poodle and doodles. And there's a lot more doodles than poodles right now. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and my husband, he is not an entrepreneur. He works shift work and clocks in and out. And he was like, this is the worst idea in the world. Like you can't exclude all of these other dogs. It's not fair. Um, How are we going to have any business? This doesn't make any sense. And I would have people say, well, my Vizsla doesn't really shed. Like the hair is really short because they would hear good things. But the oils on their coat don't work for me. Like, wow, yeah. And so I was really worried by narrowing that niche down and eliminating a broad majority of animals that I'd be eliminating who I could serve. But instead I became the doodle person. Yes. So across and everybody the wants to work with the expert, right? You were mm -hmm. able to establish yourself as that expert. Because I have someone who breathe. drives their dog from Alaska to Colorado and then flies out from Colorado so that they can board their dog with me. Do then, not. Oh yes. my gosh. That's incredible. I have someone who flies their dog when they vacation in the winter in Arizona. They fly their dog private to Denver to stay with me when they're going to go on vacation from Arizona. I call it a shed free stay. And 
<laughs> I, <laughs> and so if you have allergies or you just really want a clean dog when they wow. come home, right. I have artificial turf, there's no mud, there's, but they're not covered in other dogs' dog hair and there's nothing really like it. How cool is that? And that is so yeah. funny. I, you know, in our conversations previous to this, I had no clue about that. So what an interesting way for you to turn into the doodle pro. I mean, just, it was out of necessity more than anything. Mm -hmm. I was kind of forced into this if I wanted to really serve dogs and thank God I was. And so what does your husband say now? <laughs> uh, he kind of looks around. Yeah. He always gives input. But does he? I always, I always ignore Okay. So if we haven't gotten to the point yet of him saying, okay, you can say, I told you so, right? Right. Yeah. Like my doodle pro podcast is ranked top like five, one to five internationally and um, the UK, Canada, the US, Brazil, Malda, like it's, and he's like, does that make money? How does that work? Maybe you should start a YouTube channel instead. And I just give him a well, hug and let the numbers love on him. Yeah. Well, he's just like, uh, what's your hourly rate? How does any of this work? So that's just how he, his, you know, career has gone. And yes. thank goodness for that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. So of course the doodle pro podcast for everyone that's listening, it is amazing. I will oh, drop you. that link in the show notes also. So you guys can subscribe. Oh, and keep you. up with that, especially pet parents in St. Louis or anywhere else, of course, if you're listening, that have doodles. She is clearly the expert on this. Oh, thank you. Um, so that is really, really interesting that you were able to niche down into that and figure out a way to make that work. I've heard so much about that. You know, of course, you know, anyone that's listening that's in, uh, you know, the just business in general, mm -hmm. uh, the you know, riches are in the niches yep. <laughs> is, is what we always hear. And, and you do get a little bit worried about making something too narrow. So I can understand where your husband came from on that, but you, you then started attracting them. You, you I really did. I just, um, had, yeah, I, and people get that and I'm able in my marketing, every image is of a doodle. Of course. And I'm able to talk about our teddy bear haircuts and their unique coat needs and how often we're going to the groomer. Like they're like, she sees me. Mm -hmm. And some of the training needs are really different, which can frustrate some trainers. There's an extended puppyhood, poodles, they're bringing in their paws up. They're very bouncy, which could be very jumpy mm -hmm. when you're bringing guests in. Um, they can run higher on the anxiety scale doing more guard barking and having some more separation anxiety and then specializing in these different mixes. Like you mentioned the woodle mm -hmm. you're dealing with the wheat and the terrier side combined. Like it's oh just, you're not just getting like a different color coat yeah. with non shedding. You've got some real behavioral traits that are coming in. And we actually do like deep dives into the different mixes or doodle derivatives, as you said. Yes, I know. Podcast. <laughs> I right. love that. You can own that. I will. Oh, I will thank you. There you go. All of the I doodle derivatives. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just selling a training course and somebody wanted to do a call to see, is this for me? And it's a pretty um, big investment for them. 
And they said, we're, we're torn because yours is virtual. Should we hire like an in-person trainer or work with you virtually? And I told them it really depends on how you learn. Um, does your dog get more distracted if there's a person in the house or is it nice for them to see what your dog's up to and you can, or is it easier to do it on your own time and virtually? I trust that you as pet parents, you're really dedicated and you would pick someone really talented. And she was like, yeah, but does anyone know doodles like you? Yeah. And if I'm competing against every other dog trainer, they were in Milwaukee. There, I mean, there's, there, I'm not their direct competition, right? Right. I, they're there. I, they have location. But if somebody's trying to compete against me and doodle knowledge and skill, I also don't have competition. Right. You, you have a blue ocean. Yes. <laughs> that is, that is pretty amazing. You were originally, you had your dog walking and pet sitting business. Yes. And when did you really start transitioning over to being kind of the area expert on doodles? And then of course, you know, spread out from there. Once I had the footing and the reputation in the local area, for being the best pet sitting dog walking company and the most quality. Uh, and we used software and apps. So it tracked where, you know, like you would see in the big corporations like WAG and people loved seeing where their dog was walked and their report cards and pictures and stuff. That it needed management. And I had enough staff that I would need to hire and still oversee the staff and do the scheduling and stuff. Um, but I found the doodle side was really exploding and I was really kind of running two companies simultaneously. Yeah, I would think so. And one had my heart and one had my loyalty to people who had been clients for years and years that I didn't want to lose them. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'd walked Lucy the Pyrenees for six years and we, you know, had taken care of her through surgeries and just those families feel like families they us. do. And they really dogs do. When we see them five days a week, we really connect and know each other. And and when something's wrong or they're sick, their parents are talking to us. And sometimes we're both crying when something's wrong. And yes, and and a lot of a lot of pet parents don't understand that. I mean, we're yeah. totally twinning on that because you know I've been doing this for over twenty five years. Uh, I've had some of the same clients for, you know, like 23 years of that. Yes. And so we've gone through multiple pets and, and, you know, we, we do become such so bonded, like extended family. Sometimes uh, pet parents forget that, that we, we feel, I mean, of course, not as deeply as they do about their pets, but yeah, it is an extension of who we are and what we do. We are in this industry for a reason. I don't know if it's the same for you, but when I am visiting a home, because we're in their homes to yes. pick up their pup for a walk or change the litter box, and I see moving boxes out. Oh, yeah. Right? The, the yard sign. If you see the sign in the yard, oh. you're like, oh, wait. Because I understand in these huge life changes that telling the pet sitter, oh, we're, we might, we're considering of a job change, or we might be moving to another state, isn't at the top of the list. Right. But I like emotionally have to start preparing myself for the goodbye. And I'm like, oh, I hope they're staying local Not right. because of the business piece. I usually have a waiting list and mm -hmm. there, but because 
I mean, I love your dog and I know your cat and like just that goodbye. So if you're a pet parent and you're doing some sort of transition like that, just make sure you give them a chance to say goodbye and they have a heads up before that last visit. I right. know. Yeah. Give us a little runway, please, because yes. it's investment for us too. Yes. Oh, it definitely <laughs> is. Oh, so there was some point in there that you decided, okay, I'm running two different businesses. Yes. What was what was like that decision? It had to have been a pretty big decision to then look at transitioning your business over to, did, did you sell to an employee? I did. I sold it to okay. an employee. I spoke with a business broker uh, to kind of get some valuation. And an employee of mine had worked with me for at least three years. And she had said, I want some more responsibility. I'd like to make more than like my hourly rate. What else can I do? She just, the clients loved her. She wanted to do more. And I was really feeling the pull towards diving in deeper with doodles. I knew that I could serve people beyond the local area. And I just had so much knowledge to share, but I couldn't do that running two companies. And um, so her and I worked out uh, like a, I think you call it like an, a seller loan. So she pays like a monthly payment. Okay. Uh, she got all the client lists. But what was nice was everyone was, if you own a company, a uh, dog walking company, and you're thinking about doing it, everyone was employees. And the payroll company was just able to send over the information to her name. Everything was seamless with the employees. The handbooks were all the same. The training manuals, all our policies were the same, just her name. And we used software. So we used dog walking software. They were also able to port it under just her username. And the clients didn't have to input their data or decide like, I need to meet, like everything from the client end stayed the same. That's huge. So she kept 100% of the clients. And I mean, she, a lot of them already knew her. So, and there had been three years really for her to understand, you know, what you represented and what you were building mm-hmm. for your mission and vision in the community. So yeah. I would, you know, I mean, sure. I, I bet there've probably been some little changes, but sure. do you, do you check in just to kind of see how things are going occasionally? It'd be hard to like get away from that original baby of yours, right? It was so hard. I made it very public. I did like social media posts and everything. Congratulations to her. She is your person because I had such connections. I didn't want people reaching out to me instead. And like, Hey, I heard your walker maybe didn't do all 30 minutes. I didn't want any lines blurred. So we had a firm, I was holding her hand until this point of the transition and then it was hers and anyone who contacted me, she's the new owner. I, if I let that be a little blurry, I was never going to fully step out. And then she wasn't going to be able to make it her own and truly have ownership of it. So if anybody asks about it, I'm like, oh, ask her. I'd love to hear. Yeah, that'd be great to know. (laughs) Yeah. So I do run into clients and they say that things are going great and really, they're really happy. Um, And some of those dog walking, pet sitting clients also use me for shed free stay. 
Uh And so I didn't lose everyone. But even when I did this sale, when I talk about the online process, I'm getting into kind of the shop talk here um, for your pro people. But some were able to be in her system and mine simultaneously. And but it was still like, you know, her payments and everything for dog walks and scheduling all go through her. And when they're doing shed free stay with me uh, and they didn't have to learn a new system or any of that. Oh, perfect. Yeah, yeah. I've done that before whenever I'm a, I've acquired other local yes. pet businesses. If you have the same software program, it's just a drop down and choose which one you're going to. Yes. So it's it's nice that we have all this technology since mm-hmm. I've been in business so long. Yeah, it was a long time ago with dial up and paper and pencil and erasing and rewriting. Right. When I started, um, it was a paper planner and people texting me, but I couldn't have sold that. Right. Like, right. Right. That's true. You just yeah. Yeah, have to, you have to have it, you know, as technology, easy transfer. And like you said, um, you know, the, the least amount of client transition. Yes. That that's the beautiful part is, is that it was so easy to, to make that switch over um, between, between two people. Because and it was the easiest, company, two people. Right, it was the easiest for the client to just stay put than to need to search for someone new. Yes. And by making it seamless for them, it was more successful for her too. Nice and clean, which then, of course, opened you up to rolling out everything you have with the Doodle Pro. Yes. And uh, I guess tell everybody a little bit more. Of course, you do the training. What do you offer as the Doodle Pro besides, you know, they can fly their pets from St. Louis to Denver to (laughs) stay in your amazing shed-free stay? (laughs) So I actually shouldn't talk about the shed-free stay because I've had like people in Colorado on a wait list for more than a year. Oh, yeah. Sorry. People aren't moving and the existing clients add puppies to their family. So we haven't had any openings. Um, So I'm sorry. Okay. (laughs) I didn't say that, right? I could go back and delete it, but I won't. No, it's fine. (laughs) Um, But That just shows how amazing you are, right? Oh, thank you. But that was part of why I wanted to work more broadly because I'm limited in space and one-on-one time. Right. So I get asked a lot, can you do one-on-one training? I am skilled and able to do so, but there's only so much of me that could do one-on-one work. And so I have transitioned to doing a lot more virtual. So the primary pe- way that people uh, work with me or know me is through the Doodle Pro podcast. Mm-hmm. And it's all science, force-free, positive reinforcement-based techniques, uh, all of my guests that come on. And I am blessed to just have an incredible network of like the top pros that come on. So the guests are just amazing and everything's doodle specific. Um, So that's the primary way that people like get to know me. And then I have courses through the Doodle Pro Academy and a membership, the Doodle Pro Society. And the membership, it's kind of like what you might see like in a Patreon where when I'm meeting with those amazing guests, I live stream in to our private group and they get to ask questions of some trainers that you would never be able to book or a vet that you would never be able to get one-on-one time with and ask questions of. And that's just exclusively for them. And then they get some live Q&A time with me as well. That is pretty incredible. So that's what the that's what the society is about, the membership? Yes, Okay. And then tell me a little bit more about the Academy. What, what do you do in the Academy? 
So our present big course is called Zoomies to Zen. Mm -hmm. And right now it runs twice a year. So the next time it would run would be in September. And it, a lot, it just targets the doodle specific problems that people complain about the most with their doodle. I love them, but these are what drive me crazy. Mainly they're jumping all over people, either we're on walks or when I come in the door or someone else comes in the door and they just can't seem to calm down. It's like they're running on Red Bull and how do I get them to just relax? <laughs> Red Bull and a little bit of crazy is not a, a good combination. <laughs> and that's part of what can drive some other trainers, you know, bananas. Um, you know, I've never had a dog that likes to jump this much and jumping usually is very pro-social. They want to lick our faces because that's how they would greet another dog, but we're vertical, but we could teach them what to do instead. And that, uh, we have puppy courses coming out later, but this course is for all ages. Most okay. people that come to us, their dogs are adolescents hmm, and they've tried one to two years old. Yeah. You know? or yeah. to three like so uh, yeah with well, the bigger doodles is, is a little bit yeah. longer than <laughs> they've got a little extra uh which could be disappointing when they realize but they've often tried other sorts of classes and other sorts of training and then uh want to really just dive in and get some success that's awesome so how long did you say that one is 12 weeks that is a five-week program five week okay yep and it has video lessons that are all on demand that come out every week. And then we have weekly live Q and A's and we have a private Facebook group where they upload videos of their training and say, Hey, what can I do different? Or look at the success we had. Oh, nice. And everyone is so supportive and get each other. And I know this is like a cliche phrase, but it's a safe place for doodle families because there's a lot of doodle hate out there yeah and when they <laughs> yes. post in other groups sometimes it'd be like well that's what you get for your mutt or your overpriced mutt etc uh, so this is a place where they get each other and can support each other yeah i mean that's the perfect uh segue into what i was going to talk about so your um, you just recently, you just recently had Zoomies to Zen open. Yes. So when is it open next? What was September? Your... Okay. September. Okay. I'll make sure that I, I have a link to, I'm sure you have a wait list for it. Yeah. It's at the doodlepro.com slash Zoomies to Zen. If you okay. want to know when it opens again. Yeah. I will definitely drop that link down in Thank the show you. notes. Um, and I actually, you, you led into that with a, a little challenge. Actually, yes. it was a big challenge. It was uh it was a big undertaking for you with that it challenge. It was um, a pretty long period of time, but the the amount of information that you provided in that free challenge uh, was pretty amazing. Um, oh, thank you. It was so it, sweet yeah. for you to pop into it. It was so nice well, to have you. Of course, you. of course. Um, yeah. you know, just your your communication and sharing your expertise with them especially the, the community that you created. You had a private Facebook community for everyone that's listening. And yeah. that was one of the first things that really impacted me whenever I was in that group, looking through the messages as a pet professional myself, um, how much, you know, like, I don't know how I felt a little bit convicted as a pet professional mm -hmm. because in the industry, you know, those pet professionals that are listening can probably relate. Pet parents, you're probably like, I don't completely understand, but you hear the word doodle in 
you get an eye roll. Like you said, it's it's that, oh yeah, you know, your $3,000 mutt. And some people are really very passionate about their opinions on this subject. It's very similar to um, the passionate conversations in the training industry about being uh, positive and force-free versus balanced. Right. Um, you know, a lot of that is semantics. And, uh, but definitely I... I was reading the post from the doodle owners and just some of the almost heartbreaking things that, um, that they were having to encounter in their own communities in their Mm -hmm. own families Mm -hmm. about, you know, choosing to have a doodle and loving this, like it was their child. Well, I mean, it is their child, right? They're four legged kids. And, and the, the reaction from even professionals from going to the veterinarian, um, just how yeah, convicting it was to me seeing how um, poorly the breed is uh, sometimes received by mm-hmm. the general public. Um, and, yeah. and like you said, the, that term, the, the doodle hate, right? There's <laughs> not, groups. Not a protected breed status. but No, like, of course not. And I mean, I, luckily, it's, it's, it's out there. There's these Facebook groups that are filled with pet professionals, groomers, just trainers and why are doodle people like this? Did you brush it with a spoon? Um, but they're like 20,000 large. Oh my. And there's a lot of like screenshots, like look at this dummy, look at this idiot, like about their dog, but it could get the vitriol that feeds each other in those, just like Mm -hmm. any other, you know, group that people are angry uh, in social media, but I wish all doodles would die in a fire. Yeah, I just really like that's totally unnecessary. There's always trolls out there that are willing to, you know, and incite and inflame other people. And while I dedicate my career to doodles, part of it is to make us doodle parents better. I have one too. My dog's name is Nestle. He's of a cavalier. course you do. <laughs> of course. He's a cavalier poodle mix. We call that a cavapoo. Um, his main flaw is, is only flaw to me is that he's all black. So somebody who does social media in part for a living, he, oh. it's really hard to get him to a show up as more than a shadow. That's so, true. <laughs> but Part of my responsibility is to educate fellow doodle parents so we can be better too. So some of the frustration has basis where a lot of doodle families, that's their first dog. And you're combining, usually at least the poodle is a working dog. Mm -hmm. And you're combining that working dog with often another working dog. And if you've got an Aussie doodle, then you are combining an even higher drive dog mm-hmm. with the poodle yes, and the Wheaton Terrier for the Woodle. Then you've got the Terrier side with the Terrier drive. The Bernadoodle is very popular and the Bernese Mountain Dog. Those were bred to do carting and to cart around from the farm to the market and surprise, surprise, they're going to pull. Yes. And <laughs> there's the, so When we're combining those and we're a first time pet parent, they look like teddy bears and they look sometimes like a stuffed animal, but their needs can be higher than other dogs. Right. And so then you're bumping into some behavioral problems 
that if you wait until they're growing out of that little teddy bear look, you've got bigger issues. A lot of less knowledgeable breeders will say, don't let your $3,000 dog, don't let their paws touch outside until they're fully vaccinated. Oh, that's a huge problem I've noticed. So we're dealing with unsocialized dogs past their sensitive window of social socialization. And they're already more prone to being anxious already. And then if we've missed that prime window in the beginning, then we have higher anxiety and we're trying to reverse engineer fear. It's very easy to install fear. As a trainer, it's very easy to try to recover from it. I mean, it's very difficult. Yeah, to not to very easy. Right. Yes, yeah. thank you. Yes. And so that that is there. Then some breeders say don't get their coat cut for six months to a year because it'll change their coat. That's not true. Uh, first, we're talking about that socialization window. Dogs need to be feeling safe about getting groomed, feeling that vibration of the clippers, having their paws handled with nail clippers, feeling the blower before they're 16 weeks old, ideally, oh or to start yeah. at 16 weeks, their coat changes because they transition from a puppy coat to an adult coat. It's going to get coarser whether or not you cut it. It's a myth. But then groomers are heartbroken because when a dog comes in matted because an unknowing owner, owner mm -hmm. listened to the advice they were given, it's like the dog has been wrapped in duct tape and they're in such pain and then pet parents are upset. You shaved my dog. And, yeah. and so and, I could and go I, on and on and on. Totally. The, yeah. yeah the, the grooming thing is, is such a big issue. And I mean, yeah, the, the groomers, like you said, they're heartbroken. Uh, I mean, they, it's, it's not like, Oh, this is the drive of the groomer that they want to get these dogs and send them back to you shaved ball. No. Um, not at all. I mean, they, they don't want to do that either, but they don't oh. have a choice because it's, the, it's in the best interest of your dog because like you said that they're in pain that those mats that you can't see but they're down in there if you're not combing those out they just tighten and tighten and they get dirt and irritation and and it's painful and a lot of times it's just because the the pet parents just haven't been educated or been specifically told that no you don't want to do that yeah so, groomers have the motto humanity over vanity which oh, I, I like that. Yeah, I a thousand percent and I'm on board with this. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. groomers are left holding the bag of educating the pet parents. Yeah. And that's not their job. And so I've taken that on as awesome. my job. We do the best we know. And if nobody else has given you this information, it is not pet parents' fault that they don't know this yet. These are newer mixes, you know, just coming out 90s to early 2000s. Like there, your family didn't own a doodle or they just called it a mutt. Right. <laughs> and so I just tried to bring the information and I call it bridging the doodle divide and having groomers come on the podcast and saying, this is what we really think. And this is what we wish you knew if we had an hour to sit down and talk to you about how to comb your dog. That's true. Yeah which is great that you have those resources. Yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, a lot of it is really educating, educating the pet parent because they don't have those great resources available. Um, well, you know, I mean, I guess here's a good opportunity since you've already said a few things that seem to be challenges. 
what for the pet parents that yes. are listening right now, what are maybe the the two or three top things that you would want them to know over anything else that would help them be a better doodle parent? I would start with knowing that doodles are genetically predisposition to being more sensitive and anxious. When we talk about mm -hmm. poodles are really smart and easy to train, mm -hmm. they don't just bring that with them. The reason that they are easy to train is because they're so in tune with our cues, our body language, our tone. They're very sensitive. So using older methods, more traditional training methods can really break these dogs. So then, explain traditional a little bit. Um, where you're talking about being like the alpha or yelling at your dog. It doesn't even need to be, you know, rubbing their nose in an accident or popping them with a newspaper, like really old school. But they pick up on our arguments with each other. People will come home and say they know what they did wrong because they had that guilty look in their face. They're actually reading our cues. Mm -hmm. and are anxious knowing that we're mad. Dog studies have shown that if there's an accident, that they have no, there's no correlation in their mind that you're mad because of that. Yeah. And I mean, it has it, to be like in the exact instant. Yes. It, they have like a 10 second window of connecting behavior and consequence. Mm -hmm. um, but e-collars and prong collars, things that use discomfort, fear, or force or pain, um, as corrections, you're, you're going to deal with a lot more barking, submissive peeing, and just more behavioral problems in general, in addition to, uh, instead of building your relationship together, kind of harming the trust with each other. So what, what do you see is probably the, the key to the majority, I mean, it's of course not for everybody, but the key yeah. to the majority of them in training. Is that treats, affection? What what do you usually lead with when you're working with a new doodle? We often give our praise and affection more value, like rank it higher value than dogs. So oh, okay. like, <laughs> petting and praise, like, yeah, they like that. But we also praise and pet them all day as we should. That's why we have a companion pet. Uh, so we're not diligent enough about, I'm not going to pet you unless it's praise, which good. I wouldn't want to live that life with my dog where I'm withholding every pet <laughs> until he's followed a command, right? right? right. <laughs> that would be like a hard way to live. Um, so really finding out what are their reinforcers. It's the most effective is food. And I love my job. I love it. I could do it for free. I love it. I don't do it for free. When I work with clients, I get paid. And I don't, it wouldn't work for me if I went to a job and they said, you already know how to do this. It's pretty easy for you now. And they gave me a pat on the head and good walked girl. off. I need a paycheck. Aren't you and good? like, you still need a paycheck? You've been doing this forever. You still yeah. need one? I do. I still need a paycheck. And so in training, if you're trying to get something to a dog to stop, you could do what's called a extinguish and you could extinguish that behavior. If your dog is demand barking when you are eating at the table and you decide I'm going to ignore their demand barking and I'm not going to give them a treat from the table again, 
that could extinguish the, the behavior. If you call your dog in from outside and you stop giving them treats when they come in, you are extinguishing that behavior. It's the same method, but we think, I told him, good boy, that should be enough. Well, when you stop the paychecks, they're going to stop coming up and showing to work. Makes sense. Definitely. Yeah. I love the analogy. <laughs> <laughs> Got to pay out, man. They are looking yes. for that payout. Yes. Oh, I love it. So, okay. So that gives them some tips on what to do on the training end. What else would you, would you think that would help them? I mean, of course, let's talk about the grooming. What, yes. um, I mean, that is just a, that's a really consistent issue and, um, explain why, why do doodles have such unusual coats? It's different, not only per mix, or you talked about like F1, F1B, F2, et cetera. So that's how much percentage of poodle is in your doodle, mm -hmm. uh, which has a coarser curly coat that is like our hair. So even when I take a shower or I brush, hair falls out, but it's not, I'm not shedding per se, right? Um, as a traditional dog would blow their coat. So mm -hmm. it just keeps growing. So they do need haircuts, but then we're mixing in other dogs that have undercoats that do shed and it could be different on the one dog's body. Not only are they different per dog per litter in the same litter, but it could be their tummy has one kind of texture behind their ear is a different, the tail is a different, and you could have poodle hair on top, undercoat underneath, and the undercoat is stuck and trapped under the hair that doesn't fall out. Wow. So it could be really complicated. What works for one doodle of I can let, you know, I, I can just brush them a little and they're fine could be totally different for yours. So the way that you do it right is by what we call line brushing. So you need a pin slicker brush. Some people say, well, my dog likes it if I use like my wet brush and stuff. That's, they like it, but it's not cutting it. So when I say cutting it, it's not doing the job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let me be clear. Right, right, right. <laughs> but you need a pin brush. They look like kind of little needles. But if you get a quality one, you can rub it on your hand and it doesn't hurt. The quality ones, they smooth the tips of them. And that rakes through and you just part the hair and rake through a little. And then you need what's called a greyhound comb. The good slicker brushes cost a lot. The Greyhound don't, combs, they are all the same. You could buy the $5 one on Amazon. And then you go through to the skin. That's your check. So if you can't get your Greyhound comb through the skin, through the coat, they still have mats. Then you go back with the slicker brush. Then you go back with the Greyhound comb until you can get through the skin. So a lot of really well-meaning doodle parents will brush with a slicker brush or any brush and say, I, I brush them every day. Mm -hmm. And you could be brushing them every day. But underneath could be a pelt where the skin isn't breathing at all. And the only way to get that out is by shaving, mm -hmm. and, which isn't comfortable to the dog. And doodle groomers don't want to do that either. Right. Our dogs are walking billboards for their work. And they don't want to send out a sacrificial lamb. <laughs> Look, <laughs> like, that's not what they want to do either. Poor baby with a pink skin and they get yes, sunburned. I know. That's not what they want to do either. Right. So line brushing, I have lots of tutorials and everything on that for free, like as resources. But 
line brushing and your doodle needs to go to the groomer way more often than you think. Now, so how often do you usually recommend? I'm sure it depends on the individual dog, of course, but you know, if four to six just... weeks. Okay. Four to six weeks. Yeah. So... And closer to the four is ideal. Um, don't just throw your dog in the bath at home and let them air dry. If there are mats or tangles, those are going to cement once they get wet. Oh, so it's, people just don't know. And mm -hmm. groomers are often reluctant to tell you four is better because they don't want, oh, you're just trying to get a, you know, more business or more profit. There's actually a shortage of groomers and not a shortage of dogs. And it's actually hard to get in with groomers tough. right now. So I tough. schedule my dog out for the year. Once their books open, Nestle and I are there every four weeks and he never gets a mat. If you get them groomed often enough, you can cheat a little on your upkeep because they're getting the grooming, which will get out those tangles. If you, if it's not some upkeep that you're going to do at home, let's make those grooming visits more frequent. Definitely. Now with the, the puppies, when do you recommend they usually get their first, um, first grooming visit? If I were to do ideal, I would get, if I have a new puppy, I would have a mobile groomer come because they're not going to be fully vaccinated yet uh, to be around all of the dogs in a salon. Mm -hmm. I would have a mobile groomer come. Let's start at like 10 weeks. Okay. And you don't need to wait for that 16 week mark. If we look at the sensitive period for socialization, that's closing. And when I talk about that, it's, I feel like I'm doing a dozen podcasts in one for you. So I hope I'm not. I know, I know. Info, but but... We're, like, we're getting some serious meat here. So this oh, is pretty amazing. So when a dog is really young, before around 12 to 14 weeks, everything is safe. They, whatever we're introducing in a pleasant way, in a positive way, not just throwing them in and letting them deal with it, but everything that we're pairing with a treat or they have a positive experience with, they're set up for life, that that is something that is safe and happy. We're doing lots of deposits into their little safety bank account. And if they have one poor experience, that's taking a withdrawal. But if we've done enough deposits, they still feel safe about it. If their first experience is with a withdrawal from that account mm -hmm. and it feels mm -hmm. unsafe, then we can have a lifetime of trying to repair and come back from that fear. So starting with a mobile groomer early enough that we're before that 12 to 14 week window closing can help them get acclimated to a force, like really loud blow dryer, the bath, the nail clippings. I always suggest tell them you just want a puppy cut, which is just face feet and fanny. So all they're doing is trimming around the eyes. If there's stuff like around the mouth, trimming that up, they do a sanitary trim on the fanny. So nothing's getting caught there and trimming up their feet. They don't need a full, you know, coat trim or any of that. We want to keep it kind of short and sweet as little as can be done. And you don't have to like, I don't want them to lose their puppy coat. They don't have to. And sometimes doodle parents are upset. I don't like the blown out look. Like that's, they look more like a poodle. Right. Groomers have to do that in order to get the coat straight so we could see the skin and have no mats and to have an even cut. If you don't like the look, just get a misting spray and you can mist their coat and it can get all PC and teddy bear looking again.
So you can have the look you like while their coat and skin are still really healthy. After they hit 16 weeks, then you can start having them at the salon. When you get your puppy at eight weeks, I would call a reputable salon and get it booked now. Mm-hmm. Because it's really hard to get in with groomer shortages right now. Grooming schools were closed. We added a lot more dogs to their books during the pandemic. And so getting on the books now, again, just for a puppy cut. And then ask your groomer, did they struggle with anything? Was there a part of their body that they had a harder time with and we can work on at home? Was feet handling hard? Yes. Was the vibration of the clipper hard? So that you can support your doodle in building up some happy experiences with those feelings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even just some of those basic things, which can lead into, of course, their uh, their relaxation, going to the veterinarian, you know, yes. get them, get them up there. So, you know, like they would be on a table and, yes. you know, positively reward them while you're looking in their ears and yes. in their mouth and playing with their nails. And right. there's just so much that you can do, especially with puppies. We try to oh. tell people how important that is. Um, it's just that whole low stress, fear-free movement and how much mm-hmm. we can do as, pet owners to improve their experience just throughout life, wherever they go. And if you know that your dog, that you picked a breed where their coat has been created because you love the look and you love the cleanliness and the allergies work with you, but we've also created something that needs maintenance for them to stay healthy. So every dog needs that cooperative care, husbandry, vet work. Every dog is going to be going to the vet. Now with the coat that we've requested and created with this dog, we need to make sure that their grooming is going to feel safe and happy. Love that one. Um, of course, you had mentioned in there, um, let's let's dispel the myth about waiting until your dog is fully vaccinated to take them anywhere. Oh, gosh. I want to break your own backyard. I know. Well, that really, really breaks even like puppy pads. I'm like, no, 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 no. So yes, vaccinations and exposure. Tell tell me your thoughts on that. So a lot of vets used to say the same thing. Um, and this, I mean, the fear of your dog getting sick, I understand that. Oh, of it's, course, because you, it's your you, tiny baby. Yes, this little eight week, of course, I don't want this little eight week old to get sick. Eight weeks old, they should have already had their first major vaccinations. And they have um, some immunities coming from mom. I am not a vet. But what I do is I trust the veterinary organizations that in the last couple of years have made huge position statements saying it is more important for your dog, for your puppy to get early socialization, then keep them home out of fear of illness because the number one cause of death for dog, this is very sad. I, I don't take this lightly sharing this, but the number one cause of death that they cite in their position statements for dogs under the age of three is not illness, but euthanasia because of behavioral problems. Yeah. And if we are wanting to prevent, which is hard to imagine, my beautiful little teddy bear doodle, I can't imagine that, you know, they would have problems with aggression. Well, if they're fearful and they're anxious because things weren't safe and positive when they were younger, we're setting them up for that and for the possibility of that. And if we want them to have a lifetime 
of feeling safe and confident and secure. We need to have positive and intentional socialization early and often. And it isn't just, I brought them everywhere and they were fine. And I let everyone pass them around. There used to be like a tradition of puppy parties. Well, that doesn't work either because again, positive and intentional. They don't need to talk to or be petted and overwhelmed by the guy on a bicycle with a bike helmet on. They need to see the man with the bicycle and bike helmet and know nothing bad's going to happen to me. And if you can add a tasty treat to that, oh, I actually have a good feeling when I see the man with the bicycle and the helmet on. Something good happened. And I don't just do that once. I do it over and over and over. You could bring your puppy in a little sling and bring them everywhere. It's also not, I I bring them everywhere because the veterinary statement said to do so. They also say, be smart. So I, your goal is to protect them from unvaccinated dogs. So for many reasons, they're not sociably ready yet, but for safety wise, they should not be going to a dog park. Don't put them down at the park that all of the neighborhood's dogs run around. Your goal is to keep them away from unvaccinated dog feces. That's mm-hmm. where they could catch um, some problems they're not fully vaccinated for. I would not put them down at a Petco or a PetSmart or at a Home Depot or Lowe's. Those are places where unvaccinated dogs could be. Mm-hmm. Neighborhood walks, great. You're just watching your puppy as you would anyway, that they're not sniffing stranger dog poop. Right. And the most important is puppy classes. They need to play with other puppies. If you feel like your puppy is a land shark and their little teeth are going at you, (laughs) the best cure is for them to be able to play with other little sharky puppies. Because not only do is that how they play with their mouths, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but they learn bite inhibition. The other little puppy is going to go, uh-uh, that was too hard. And they're going to move away. And that there is no better teacher than that. So good, trustworthy puppy classes will sanitize the environment and check that every puppy has already started their vaccinations. And so if I'm getting a new puppy and they're coming, I'm setting up my puppy class reservations before they come home. And I'm setting up my mobile groomer before they come home just so I have those appointments on the book so we could start eight and a half weeks. We're getting going. Yes. Yes. That is amazing advice there. Yeah. Um, yeah because that, I mean, that, that real puppy time is that like eight to 16 weeks. Mm-hmm. And that is such a huge potential fear window for them that, yeah, if you're keeping them isolated that whole time, then you've missed out on a huge opportunity to really develop a very well-balanced And it's so unfortunate that this health concern collides with their behavioral needs. Uh It's really, it's really unfortunate. And I understand it puts us in a worrisome place, but I trust these veterinary behavioral organizations that have said we've weighed the risks. Yes. Yeah. I'll have to find those links and and put that down in the show notes too, because sometimes people have to to believe it. Good. Asvab is the most recent. And okay. Yeah, I could send you the link oh, so that you have the position statement. That is that is amazing. So circling back around to health, um, 
one of the biggest things that I hear, of course, since you yourself say that you are allergic to dogs, <laughs> the whole, oh, doodles are hypoallergenic. Um, they are not all <laughs> hypoallergenic. So um, explain to the pet parents that are listening, you know, especially if they have that in their family and they're really concerned about having a dog that's going to, of course, cause the least problems. What do you tell people to look for? How do you usually address that whole, all doodles are hypoallergenic myth? Yes. Yes. Uh, so first, hypoallergenic and I needed to be educated based from scientists explaining this to me because I used to say no dog is hypoallergenic. So I guess the hypo means less than, mm -hmm. than others. It so does. they can be less allergenic to you and triggering your allergies than other kinds of dogs, but that doesn't mean none. So each of us have our own profile. I said that I am significantly allergic to cats and more moderately so to dogs. But for me, it's the dander piece and the oils on the coat. Mm -hmm. um, for others, it could be dog saliva. And a dog licking you, you might be getting hives or a more significant reaction. Every single dog has saliva. You can be allergic to outside elements that your dog can bring in. You're allergic to pollen and grass and your dog goes on a walk and rolls around in the yard. Yeah. They're bringing that into the house. So knowing your own profile is very important. And then they have, um, they're doing some great genetic testing that a lot of breeders are doing based on if it's a furnishing, that means like a curlier poodle coat versus a non-furnished. Traditionally, I could go too deep here, but traditionally it used to be what percentage of the doodle was a poodle. Mm -hmm. So if someone were to say they were an F1, that's 50-50, half of the golden, half of the poodle and the golden doodle. And from that, you can have dogs that look completely like a golden and that would be called a flat coat and they would shed like them, or they could look completely like the poodle and that would be called furnished or their coat could be a mix of both. Now they're able to do some furnishing testing genetically to see what genes they carry. That's not the norm yet, but if you really wanted to be sure, you could seek a breeder who does that. Then F1B means that the dog is 75% poodle and 25% golden in our golden doodle example. Right. They still carry the gene where they could be unfurnished. So just because a breeder says this is an F1B litter, you have to look at the exact coat. Mm -hmm. And the way I tell viewer to watch on video, when it's a brand new little puppy, the nose and the forehead look like waves. There's a little oh, okay. kink there. Okay. A puppy coat is looser mm -hmm. than the adult coat will be. So you're not going to see like full curls when they're... Right coming right out of the womb there. But that's but the first place you're going to notice it is the, the muzzle and like the forehead muzzle. a little bit. Okay. There should be some kink there. And a reputable breeder who's doing health testing and knows their dogs would be able to tell you very quickly, this dog is going to be less shedding. This dog has less furnishing and should set. If a breeder says point blank, doodles are hypoallergenic and these are no non-shedding dogs, no. Runaway screaming, right? Yes. Yeah. Because that's a sign of your backyard breeder. 
Yes. And there should be true genetic testing. If you go, there's a Golden Doodle Association of North America, Ghana. They've got a break, great breakdown that's just an example. It doesn't have to be Golden Doodles that you're looking at. But Ghana has a great example of what true genetic testing should be. So if they say, all my dogs are vet checked, that doesn't mean anything. That just means the dog looks over a bunch of litters. Everybody's got four legs and everybody looks good. That All doesn't mean parts. anything. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I mean, that's the most basic. That's not enough for health testing. They could be sending some swabs from the parents to like embark or wisdom. That's not enough either. The breeding dog should be getting to age two with x-rays of their hips, examinations of their eyes, and the full breakdown just that so you can use for an example of we call it like OFA scores and pen hip. Those are all on the Ghana website that you could just look at for an example for one doodle mix. Those are expensive tests and you're waiting for these dogs to turn two before you're able to get a full sense of if they have healthy hips, because a lot of our doodles can be prone to hip dysplasia and that's very painful, very expensive and very difficult and heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. So, a reputable breeder, their dogs are going to be expensive. They're investing and they're making a lot less profit because they are investing in this health testing. But if you want your doodle to be healthy for the next 15 years, it's really worth it. Uh, so, so yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of the large breeds, you've got the OFA and the pinup that you look for. Yes. So you're saying specifically with doodles, see if they do have the genetic testing. That's all. Absolutely. Good. And okay. more than... My dog's vet, all my dogs are vet checked. That doesn't mean anything. And, you know, we do, we have our wisdom or embark screening. That's not enough. You need, you need a vet that is doing x-rays and doing reproductive health on these dogs to make sure that we're passing on healthy genetics. Yes. Wow. You just kind of take care of everything. You make sure people (laughs) are going to get started right with the, with the the health end of it. And then, you know, dealing with the whole emotional and the building up of an amazing puppy. Yeah. So I love your program. That is. Thank you. And, you know, of course this podcast, like I said, it's, it's a dual setup there for um, also pet business owners that we're in the industry and we're seeing this influx of, of doodles also. What, I mean, what kind of tips can you share with us as we work with our own clients? Um, I mean, I just lead with empathy with whomever I'm working with. So I'm sure that's what your listeners already do, but to not assume that they're, that all doodles are coming from puppy mills. That was the case. Mm-hmm. There is an oversaturation in the market right now. We are seeing a lot more doodles coming from rescues. Puppy mills weren't able to sell them and just up offloaded them to rescues. There are a lot more rehomes than there used to be. They used to be much less common than they were. So now they're showing up in rescues. So if you are, you know, adopt, not shop, don't assume that every doodle came from a breeder. Second, don't assume that every doodle came from an unethical or backyard breeder. There are some amazing programs. There's the Bearded Retriever Project, Ghana. Uh, There's even the Cobber Dog, which is, that's an Australian Labradoodle kind of byproduct a bit. And that's being considered for recognition as an official breed. There 
are really dedicated breeders that are working really hard to have ethical standards and health testing and a standard for their mix. But those are one by one. If a go- if a golden doodle mix is successful in that, the Australian Labradoodle still has the whole path to go down. Right. Uh, so it's each different mix. So just to be open that this pet parent ha- has possibly been very thoughtful about selecting who they did select and from whom. And then to give them the benefit of the doubt, if you're seeing a really matted dog, et cetera, that they might not know. And feel free to point, I'm happy to be the bad guy if you want to point them to my podcast and let what? my interviews with a groomer or a vet. Like, oh, let like us gosh, be the that's, bad guy. Not, that's not being the bad guy. I mean, the resource <laughs> that you have available, this is what people need. We need to, you know, honestly surround these people, if, especially if we can get them to contact us whenever they have new puppies. We, oh, yes. we, need to, we need to have the education like your resources easily available for our community. Um, so we don't get to the point where they are not taking their dog out because the breeder said so and they are not right. doing appropriate grooming. And so then we have a horribly unsocialized, crazy dog that you know, might end up being back in the rescue system, like you said, just because the owners haven't, they didn't know, they didn't know what they didn't know. And there was no one that was willing to step into that gap and provide them with the resources they needed. Right. So, okay. No more eye rolls. Uh, I I mean, you could do it together. (laughs) (laughs) But like you said, it's Red Bull with a little crazy. Yeah. And, and people, like pet parents, it breaks their heart when they feel like I can't find a trainer. I wanted to do agility with my dog. Mm-hmm. And people said like, your overpriced mutt isn't welcome. Like it, it is more heartbreaking than I think many pet professionals. These are their babies. And to fear, feel like scorned for selecting yeah. them breaks their heart. Yeah. yeah. We really just need to kind of step up alongside them and, and, you know, yeah make sure that they have the amazing connection they need with their pets. And of course that, you know, their doggos are good society members. Yes. So I love that. I love that. So I am going to have probably more resources in these show notes than I have ever had before. (laughs) So, um, so yes, I'm going to put down there. What did we talk about? The doodle pro podcast. Um, of course, your academy, which doesn't open again until September. And then just a uh, little information about your society. I'm assuming that's that all on the website. Yes. Great. And uh, of course, the vet p- positioning statement. I'm probably going to put a little something in there about Ghana, too, because that's new information for me. And yeah. I'm a geek for knowledge. So me too. And if I, I like could throw it. a couple more in for your listeners. Yes. yes. Um, what do you got? If they want to know how to brush their doodle and the right tools to use, I've got a free cheat sheet. I've tried all of them and worked with groomers yeah. on selecting them. So these are my favorites. If they go to thedoodlepro.com slash brushing, okay. they'll get a free cheat sheet. And then for your pet pros, uh, I made a lot of mistakes niching down. So I like to share my top five mistakes on finding your niche to avoid. So they could find that at the doodlepro.com slash success. 
That is really an important thing, of course. Um, you know, putting on my pet pro hat yes. and talking to my pet pro peeps. Wow, I'm getting an alliteration going there. <laughs> yeah. um, many of us did have to, I hate the word pivot. Um, we heard it way too much for a couple of years there, but we did have to really, um, really transition who we were and what we did during the mm -hmm. pandemic because. Uh, many, well, definitely in the in-home industry, we were decimated for a period of time. Yes. It was it was our amazing, super lovely clients who continued to pay pay us, even though they didn't need our services that no. actually kept us in business, which thank you. You all know who you are. And yes, I great. had those as well. And yes. they didn't know what a blessing they were. No, not at all. Not at all. And um, so, you know, of course, we, you know, many companies ended up making like those decisions of how they wanted to change things. And that's mm -hmm. continuing now with people wanting to bring in new products. And, um, and so this is going to be a really great resource. Uh, I, I don't know of anyone else in our industry who has taken the time to write about that and oh. write, write about kind of the way not to do things. Yes. You said this is like what you've learned, like what not to do. Yeah, I really made I made some mistakes. Uh, it's been incredibly successful in the end. But if I could save another pet pro from some of the mistakes I made when they're deciding to niche down, I'm happy oh, to help. Amazing. I love that. So all of that is also going to be in the show notes. This has been such a blessing. Yeah, I'm so glad I reached out to you. Me too. <laughs> Thank yes. you. I hope I haven't overwhelmed your listeners. Oh, no, 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 no. I, you know, people might have to listen to it a couple of times, but but even better, right? Oh, good. Thank um, you. Thank you so much. And you know what? I know where to go to find the doodle pro. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're on a roll today. I am. That's terrible. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pet Biz Hive. You can follow me at Pet Biz Hive on both Facebook and Instagram and learn more at PetSitterGuru.com. What is your next best move?